Welcome to another edition of the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame podcast. I'm your host, Chris May. You likely associate Matt Painter as the head men's basketball coach at Purdue University, but in this episode of our podcast, he goes back memory lane. He talks about his childhood growing up in Delaware County and the Muncie area. Many great memories playing basketball growing up, his high school experiences at Delta, being a 1989 Indiana All-Star, and a litany of memorable players, games, gyms, and outstanding teams he watched as a kid. We hope you'll sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode, another story of Indiana's basketball heritage on the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame podcast. Coach, I just want to start with, uh, we'll get into details, uh, your high school career, your college playing career, now your coaching career, but is there any way you can really put into words what basketball has meant to Matt Painter's life? Um, boy, that would, that would be difficult. Like it's, um, it, it's meant so much. It's something that's been a huge part, um, you know, of my life. It's something that's kind of consumed me at times to where like, I'm not that, um, they joke in my family that, um, not very knowledgeable about other things <laughs> just because I've spent so much time just playing the game, thinking the game, reading about it. Um, um, like I, I read, I don't read a, a lot. I read enough to where it's like, but I run out of material because I, I kind of stay on one topic. I'm a big baseball fan too. So I read some in baseball, not, not a tremendous amount, but enough um, that interests me, but I read about basketball. And so if I see something or I see a book or I, you know, I'm, I'm going to eventually get to it. Sometimes it takes me a while. I go through stretches where, you know, I'll read two or three books in a short amount of time. And then I will read a book and it'll take me four months just because I don't, I just don't feel like it. It's so um, basketball has been huge, you know, just the places um, that it's been able to take me and the, and the opportunities that I had and, um, and, and things are, there's so many dynamics that happen that put you in a different bucket. Like I'm the tallest person in my family. And so like being six, six, you know, where would I be if I was six foot? There's no way I'd have been a big 10 player. I was lucky to be a big 10 player at six, six. So like, you know, that right there and just that luck, um, of height, you know, helps you, um, you know, get some advantages and, and get some different places. But no, we had a uh, had a great upbringing with my parents and um, they both were, you know, into basketball. My dad played basketball in high school and was a big basketball fan. My mom, you know, was a cheerleader at Huntington and was a big basketball fan. And um, they poured a, uh, a 50 foot slab of concrete in our backyard. And then we had floodlights. So we played basketball, we had a full court basketball court. We played basketball growing up and then the be able to stay like I was one of the better players in my grade, but I wasn't somebody that was dominant. Um, so I never really thought that like it would, you know, I would end up getting to where like I would play at a Big Ten school like Purdue. Um, I never really thought that it's something that I wanted. Um, I got I was very fortunate that I, like I said earlier that I that I grew a lot, but I just played in my backyard a lot. Um, I played at the park, played at the Y, played at the boys club. Um, just, you know, wherever you can find a game, obviously at your high school and within, I think I started playing AAU basketball when I was 15 on a team with the Muncie boys club, maybe 14, um, 14 and under team, 15 and under team, but something in there. And so like always, always was playing, I played baseball and football up until ninth grade and just kind of just stayed with basketball. thought I could be better, um, at basketball. But like I said, you know, I was fortunate that I grew, 
Um, but no, there's a, there's a lot of, when you look at the places I've been and been able to be fortunate to be with like USA basketball and the travel, like just the traveling that you do, um, and, and the venues that you play in, in college basketball, it's like, it's surreal that, you know, to this day when like we walk into assembly hall in Indiana or the Breslin center at Michigan state, it's just like, man, I cannot believe like we're, we're walking in here and I'm the coach at Purdue and I've been there 15 years, but it's, it's still a surreal moment for me because this is what I wanted. And I got lucky. I was in the right place at the right time, but there's just so much that, you know, you, you feel fortunate to be able to experience, um, you know, since at, at Purdue, like we've been to Spain on a trip, we've been to Italy on a trip. Um, we've been to Australia on a trip um, with USA basketball uh, been to New Zealand, uh, been to Shenzhen, China. Um, we went to Taiwan with Purdue also, which, which we represented the USA basketball. Um, Southern Illinois, we went to a trip that was like a Denmark, Finland, Sweden, Estonia, that area. Um, we also went to Dominican Republic. I went on a Big Ten trip as a player to um, England, uh, Belgium, uh, Amsterdam, and, and so just like all the places that, you know, you've been able to go all over the world and, um, you know, just to be able to, you know, not let the game use you. Like I felt like, you know, it's the game will, you know, do things for you and take you places, but, you know, you have to, you know, be true to the game and, you know, have integrity and, you know, do things the right, just try your best to, to give things back. That's what I've tried to do in terms of, um, you know, being on committees at the NCAA or the NABC or USA basketball, or, you know, within the big 10, you know, conference and just, you know, just try to do what's best for the game because it's done so many things you all, know, for me. All those experiences for a boy from Muncie and Royerton, Indiana. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No I, doubt. I, I'm curious in childhood, especially, I mean, is there a moment, a game, a location where you identify, you know, a, a true love for basketball that develops with you? Um, it's always just kind of been there, you know, just um, my dad took me a couple of times. My dad was a big Indiana fan and would take me to see guys that, in, that would commit to Indiana or Indiana was recruiting. So like we went and saw, let's think of some guys, um, John Flowers from Fort Wayne that went to Indiana, actually uh -huh. left Indiana. Um, Tracy, uh, he's drawing a blank. I mean, he lives in Pittsburgh now, but um, went to Indiana, actually transferred to UAB, really good player, could really score. Um, but that was from his area because he went to Fort Wayne Northside. So he would take me um, to see some guys in that area. I remember Jim Master, yep. and then kind of goes back a little bit, that played at Kentucky. That was Mr. Basketball, I think, in 80, um, if, if I'm not mistaken. So um, just that piece of it, um, of kind of always going around. There was a guy named Rick Roray that went to Indiana and he actually ended up transferring back to Ball State. So watching him, seeing Steve Alford at Newcastle because that wasn't too far away, um, you know, from us. I probably saw Steve Alford in his senior year. I don't, I don't want to push it a little bit, but I would say 10 times. <laughs> I know I saw every, I know I saw every game in the tournament. I saw the two or three sectional games. I saw the two regional games and I saw the two semi-state games. What's crazy in the semi-state game, obviously he scores 56 points and goes 25 for 25 from the line in the morning game. And um, I'm 12 years old at this time. And so 
unbelievable game. 56 points, no three-point line, you know, 25 yeah. for 25 from the line. They beat Broad Ripple. They get beat by Basil Malby and Connorsville and the Heineman Twins in the night game. And he has like 38. And I remember thinking like, you know, what's wrong with him? Like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, what's wrong with him? Like, what the hell is going on here? Like, what, what, man, he's got to get it going. And, and so, but I, I wore, um, I wore number 12 because of him and Jay Edwards. Like Jay Edwards is a couple years um, older than I was, if I got that right. I think he was two years older than mm -hmm. I was, but just seeing him as a sophomore, Jay Edwards in the state finals when I was an eighth grader, I was like, man, like God, it just, it just seemed so effortless the way he moved and the way he shot the basketball. Um, so it was something I was not a great shooter um, growing up. I was like a, I guess I was a better player probably for my group um, and a, more of a scorer than I was. A, I was really just a passer. But then I, as time went on, I'm like, man, I got to be able to shoot. And then when the three-point line came in as my junior year, I started to get better at that time. And that really helped me. And really helped me advance some things, but no, that was just kind of the, you know, just this the game and this the infatuation with the game more than anything. And um, but there was nothing that really, you know, triggered it. It was just always there. Like I, I played in the third grade league as a kindergartner. My dad coached me from kindergarten to sixth grade until I got into school basketball. We didn't have school basketball um, at that time, so my mom was always taking me to the Y. I was playing in a Y league or a boys club league. Um, but I was always the youngest guy in my neighborhood too. So like, that, I think that really helped me that I had passing and ball handling skills, but I had never considered myself bigger than people. Um, even though I was one of the taller guys in my grade, but I really shot up in high school, which, which really helped me. But that, that kind of background of like going around and seeing guys and having that infatuation of, you know, of what a good player is and, and seeing good players and, uh, Muncie had players too. So like, you know, growing up, you know, Muncie Southside, Muncie Central, Muncie Northside were so good. Muncie Northside was, was good in the seventies, was good in the eighties. They had Billy Butts who went to Michigan, Mike Abrams, had a guy named Richard Ivey. Then I, I, I don't know where he actually went, but I know he was, he was a really good player. Um, and they had a really good team in, in, in that stretch. And they, they competed against Newcastle and um, Alfred and, and, and the group that they had. Um, over there, but Muncie Central always had players. When I was, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, you know, Jack Moore, uh, Jerry Shoecraft, both of them went to Nebraska, led Muncie Central to a state title. I think 78 was the year. If it wasn't, it was 79. And then the next year they win it again. And Ray McCollum didn't play much on the previous team. And then all of a sudden kind of comes out of nowhere and leads them to another state title. And then he has a great career, um, you know, at Ball State. And then Chandler Thompson was a year uh, younger than, excuse me, older than me and Cedric Van Leer and Victor Young and Sam Long. And then obviously they beat Sean Kemp's team in 88. So like that was, you know, that, that was a, a 10 year span. And so that's what I was around. I was, you know, so I never thought I was, you know, that good. Like it just, you know, you, you talk about those guys, I could talk about more guys, but just in our area right there, think about in the eighties with Mary, Marion's 30 miles away from Muncie. Just think about, you know, 87, 86, 85, those guys win it. 88, Muncie wins it, you know, and 78 and 79, Muncie Central wins it, or 79, 80, I forget what it was. It was 78, 79, you're correct. 78, 79. So just think about from 78 to 88, Muncie Central wins it three times, Marion wins it three times. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I reeled off the teams, you know, Mike Abrams from Muncie Northside went to Louisville, Billy Butts went to Michigan. They're on the same team. 
And so like that 10 year stretch right there in that, and I didn't even get to Anderson yet with mm-hmm. all the players that, you know, from, you know what I mean? And so Anderson and Muncie and, 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 and Marion and, and just the players in that little pod, I'm talking a 10 year span. You take them from, from that point on in the next 30 years, and there's no way there's as many players in the next 30 years as it was in that 10 year period. So a lot of things have changed, you know, with the economy, you know, a lot of things change when there's not as many opportunities, not as many jobs, you're not going to see as many people. And that's where the tradition's gotten lost, um, you know, through the years in those towns like Anderson, where almost every year, you know, you know, in the eighties, you're just talking about like, you're going to have an Indiana all-star, like, you know, you're going to have Winston Morgan, you're going to have Stu Robinson, you're going to have Ray Tolbert, um, you know, you can go on and on with guys um, on a yearly basis, not to mention, you know, when you get down to, you know, both the Darners, then in the early 90s, you know, late 80s, or, or Anderson Highland, you know, the Gary brothers, and so like, uh, you know, the Delf brothers, and so like, you can go on and on and on and on, just in Muncie and Marion and Anderson. So I grew up in that environment. And, uh, but you also grow up being humble, because, you know, you go other places and, and you play games and you do different things. There was always players. So you never thought you were that good. And you just kind of kept working. I, you know, the one thing I learned from that response is my job might be in jeopardy. If uh, with all the names you dropped <laughs> and the history you just gave right there, I, I might be out of luck here in a, a year or two. <laughs> that, no, that's that's great stuff. I think it's, it's it speaks to a little bit being in the right place at the right time, because as you mentioned during that decade, you can't throw right. a stone without great players at, at all these different schools. Um, I, I want to go back one last time just to your childhood. You mentioned your, your parents pour a 50-foot uh, slab of concrete at your yard or in your backyard. Yeah. You mentioned the Muncie Boys Club. Um, before you get to high school, maybe even into your early high school years, maybe, where was the spot to get a game? Were, were, were the neighborhood kids coming to your backyard to play? Were you going into yeah. town in Muncie? What, what were you doing there? A little bit of everything. You know, a little bit of everything. You know, you have your open gyms at your high school that you're, you, know, you always are going to because, you know, you want to – you want to compete, you want to play, but you also want to, you know, kind of stake your claim that, you know, you're, you're trying to you put yourself in the best position to be able to play. And, you know, that's something that I think gets lost now a little bit. Like I always wanted to perform in front of the person that matters. Like so many people now today with young people, they don't know like their audience, their audience is a one man audience and that's the person they play for. And that gets lost. And you're just like, you know, if you don't have a part of you as a young person that wants to do well to make your parents proud, you've lost something there. They haven't done a very good job. There's something that's been missed. So like, you know, trying to please your teacher or trying to please your parents, but also trying to please your coach. Like who are you playing for? You you should be playing for your teammates. You should be playing for your team or your school or your town. Just having that pride even having a pride in your own family name, like those things sometimes get lost. But when you have it, man, it's so much more fun. And I, and I think that's something that um, looking for a game and always playing, but never neglect what's the most important. And that's playing for your school, like, you know, playing for my high school and playing for my college like that. That's what's important. And if you carry that on and especially if you can be a pro and you feel that way, I think we see that sometimes with those old school pacer guys. You know, Reggie Miller would talk about it. Um, you see the ABA guys talking about it. Like, you know, that they played for that organization. The Pacers organization meant something to them. And that's what it's about. And that's hard because the way the structure is now of salaries and, 
in, in different things. You know, guys jump around a lot more and, and you just don't have the same familiarity with the fans and different things. But kind of going back to like trying to find a game, it just was you were playing in leagues like we played in the Y League um, for a long time. My dad coached. Uh, we played in boys club leagues. We played in summer leagues out in the county. We played pickup. Um, I had the full court basketball court. Like we would have next um, in my backyard. Like you, you try to play with 50 feet. It's kind of gets congested. So we would play four on four, but it didn't happen a lot. There was rare occasions where it'd be like, there'd be people waiting to play. They'd be parking their cars on the side of the street. They'd be playing, you know, waiting to play. And it all would be just neighborhood guys. And, you know, and it normally happened in the spring when the weather finally got nice and right after school, you know, we, we would have games and it was always normally older people than me playing, but no, I was, you know, just trying to search out whether it was going to the Y or, you know, going to the boys club or, you know, I played in some, the tournaments, you know, outside, but I didn't play a lot of basketball outside besides in my, my, my backyard. And I think that's just something that, you know, you, you get, figure, you, you figure it out, like you figure out where it's going on and who's playing and staying in touch. And it's a lot different now because it's not, you know, it's kind of a word of mouth thing instead of somebody texting you or calling you and, you know, things like that. Like you're, you were leaving notes, like, I'm, <laughs> you know, you're leaving notes. Hey mom, this is what I'm doing. And toop, you're out the door and I'll be back at this time. And, and that's just the way it was. And, you know, you, you kind of, you had more freedom as a kid to, to be able to go about, but we, we shot around a lot. I think that's something um, people don't do as much now. It needs to be organizer. It needs to be a personal trainer. It needs to be a workout guy or whatever. Like, Hey man, just get, get a basket and get a ball and, and work on your game. That was going to be work. Your, yeah. Th- that was going to be my next observation is you would have a better feel on this, uh, you know, recruiting high school kids and being around high school kids, but is exactly what you said. Nowadays, it needs to be structured for them, it seems. Uh, if it's not scheduled, if it's not an air-conditioned gym, if it's not a tournament with a team, they're not just showing up at a park, it seems. Maybe that's the wrong perception. No, it's. I, I think there's some truth to that. The thing about a guy who, and, and you'll see this a lot if you go and you, you find out people who play a lot of pickup, they instinctually learn things. They instinctually learn when somebody jumps a passing lane or somebody is switching versus staying with their own man, how they're getting defended. Um, you understand angles better. Just because you have played so much basketball, you get things figured out. And then a lot of times with a young guy is that like they can't really verbalize what's what. They just have a better feel for the game because they've played more. And what you happen with workout guys and, and guys now will functionally work better and work on their games better. But sometimes what they're working on, they're not yet at that point to where, you know, am I the, am I that good of a decision maker to incorporate this in your game? You're like, you can physically do some of these things. You can dribble through cones and do all these things, but the real workout guys are working on somebody's decision-making because that's, that's where the issue lies. We don't have enough good decision-makers. And if you get good guard play and they're skilled and they're good decision-makers, man, it just makes everybody on your team so much better. And that's what you have to have across the board. You have to have good decision-making. And I think with a lot of the workouts, you get into the raw, functional, physical skill of having a pull-up, having a jump shot, being able to move. And those things are, you know, necessary things to work on, obviously. Um, but the decision-making sometimes gets lost with all that and say, man, my, 
my pull-ups better, my, my, my floaters better, my jumpers better, my intermediate game, what have you. But you're like the next year, well, why aren't your percentages better? Your percentages should be better because your physical skill is improved, but your decision-making hasn't improved. And that's what has to be worked on. And that's what ends up happening within the six months. And I think there lies frustration there. Like you'll see young kids that are in AAU versus high school or guys that just do a lot of work individually with other guys that don't mix it in and play enough with the people that they're around. There's separation, there's stops. So like you play with people, then all of a sudden you stop playing with those people and you play with another group of people. And then you go back to that original people of high school guys. Then you go back to the AAU people. Then you start back up with the high school. You have a lot of starting and stopping there. Some people don't understand when you now leave high schools and transfer high schools or you leave AAU programs and leave AAU programs. And now when you get to college, you did a lot of leaving there. Mm -hmm. The one thing that's consistent through there is that you played basketball and you stopped and started with a lot of groups and you didn't get with the group and just stay with the group and then grow. And, and the one thing through growth is that adversity. You know, you really, we all grow as people. We all grow as players and coaches through our struggles. But it's also when you struggle, not looking for the door so quickly. We, we, we have such a culture now to where when something goes wrong, there's got to be somebody's fault. Well, this is competition. And if you want to play in the Big Ten or you want to grow from that and play in the NBA, it's really good competition. And through that, you're going to have adversity and have struggles. How you grow through that and stay and fight, everybody's always like, well, the grass is greener. Then they get over there and they're like, hmm. Because if you can't dribble with your left hand at Purdue, then you can't dribble with your left hand at Kentucky too. I don't care what you do. <laughs> you know, you still can't dribble with your left hand. You know, if you're somebody that, you know, doesn't get that figured out, but I think adversity is so good. Those struggles are so good for people and, you know, and just getting things figured out and just keep working and stay positive. Um, you're going to get up into some, some issues from a physical standpoint at some point as, as you start to climb and do some different things. But if you get that value in you as a basketball player, as a person, to not play that blame game, not to point a finger and just say, you know what, I'm about solving things and I'm about being honest and looking in the mirror. If you get enough people around that individual player that's that way, man, those guys just, they just find success. But when you get the other thing and guys are jumping around and, you know, because everybody has an opinion about basketball, it's really not that hard of a game. Like if you watch an NFL football game on there and you're not a football guy and they're talking about different things and changing the defenses and going into the nickel and doing this, that, and the other, you can get lost. The common fan's going to get lost. But from a basketball standpoint, it's really not that hard of a game. There's some differences and, you know, there's, there's some different styles and, but there's, you know, you can go to a one, three, one or a two, three or press or man to man. That's not hard. That's not that hard to figure out. Um, and, and so a lot of people have an opinion about the game of basketball, and sometimes that ends up being toxic for young players. So well stated. Uh, thank you for uh, diving into that topic, and I think that's a lesson a lot of folks, uh, a lot of parents, a lot of kids need to hear. Uh, I, I want to go to your high school career at Delta. Um, it culminates with being an Indiana All-Star in 1989, but your team's had some really good success. I think you won 20 games as a sophomore in 19 wins, I think, a junior season, and then your senior year, you won 21 games. You win the sectional championship in the one-class system. Uh, you know, talk us through what that experience was like with the Delta Eagles. Yeah, you know, for me, I was, um, like I said, I grew a lot in high school. So I came in about 5'9", five, 5'10", five, and I left 6'6". Six, six. 
and that was gradual for me. So just um, probably one of the best things that happened to me was I played JV as a freshman. Instead of being on varsity, I was physically weak, um, about 150 pounds, probably 150, 155 pounds um, in there. But we were undefeated. So our JV team um, was 18-0. and 0, And then I got into two games as uh, on the varsity team. I scored three points uh, my, my freshman year on varsity. But, I, but it was good for me because it allowed me to have some success. It allowed me to play point guard the whole time. And so as, as a young player, being able to play point guard, and then the next year I, I moved to varsity. My brother and I started um, on varsity together when he was a senior, my, my sophomore year. Uh, but we had a good team. And but we had a senior point guard at the time. And so then I didn't play point guard a lot, even though I had a lot of assists. Um, but it was good. Like I wasn't, I wasn't our, our best scorer that year um, on that team. And then um, the next year I played point guard again. And, and so that, that was that was really good for me because I played a lot of different positions and did a lot of things and it really helped me with my versatility. But no, we had a lot of fun. I'm, you know, I think if you're a good player, they'll find you. And so like to me, like I, I never wanted to leave. My mom lived in Muncie Central District and, um, you know, could have went to Muncie Central and uh, they won the state when I was a junior. And so um but to me, I never wanted to leave the guys that I grew up with and the guys I went to school with. They just, just my friends, not necessarily the guys on our basketball team, even though I got along with them. You know, just everybody, just everybody that you went to school with. And, um, and, and so if you're, you know, I always, you know, and I didn't think I was any good. So like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I just did it. Like when you're five nine, five ten, you're going into high school. And, you know, I, I think our eighth grade year, we were like eight and ten. Uh, we were really good as sixth graders. We were really good as seventh graders. Then they, you could zone in eighth grade and I couldn't shoot that well. I didn't <laughs> grow. And we, I just didn't think I was that good, to be honest with you. Um, I think I was confident in what I could do, but I just didn't think on a grand. So like going to another school or whatever really didn't like enter my mind, even though it was presented to me at one time yeah. before I started, before I started high school. That uh, you absolutely stole my next question was, you know, you, you, you know, your, your junior year, Muncie Central wins the state. You're right there. Uh, did that thought ever cross your mind? Because it seems like nowadays that seems to be a lot of kids or parents idea. Yeah. And I had, I, I had a great year, uh, my, my junior year. And we had a couple guys, uh, Ted Hayden and David Nichols that were seniors that could score. And so like, even though I led us in scoring, like passing was my best thing. And so like Dave could really shoot and Ted was a low post player. Um, we had a couple other guys that could make open shots. Um, but to me that like that, like, I didn't know if I was good enough. I, I reflect back on it now, but, you know, Central had such a good team with Victor Young and Cedric Van Leer and Chandler and Sam Long. I think uh, Chris Willing, Willingham was the, Willingham was their uh, other starter, but they had other guys like Cedric didn't play in the state tournament in the, in the final four. They had a guy named Billy Vance come in and get 15. Like, you know, was, and, and everybody in Muncie knew like Billy Vance is good. Like, I didn't think I was better than him. Like, you know, I mean, that's just, that's just the way it was. They had that many guys. There's guys that, there was guys at Muncie Central then that never played organized basketball that was better than I was. And, and so, like, it just, it was mind boggling to me. Like, I'd go into the park and get dunked on by some guy with jeans on. You'd be like, what? <laughs> what in the hell is going on? Like this guy here has got jeans on and okay, now where does he play at? He doesn't, he just goes to school. He just doesn't, you know, he doesn't play organized ball. And then, then things like that, people don't understand. Like we just had a lot of talent. We had a lot of people in that area 
um, that could play, but kind of back to my high school stuff. So like, I didn't reflect on that. Like, dang, man, I missed out on winning the state. It was like, I think I would have played. Um, I probably would have even probably even would have started, but it was, they just were that good, man. And, and it was a pretty special time. And, um, you know, you grow up playing AAU and, um, why and you know in the boys club with all those guys and it was pretty cool i went to the games we i remember staying in the courtyard over on allisonville and so a couple of buddies of mine my mom took us and we went to the games and watched munchie central right there so i was cool that was that was cool for me because i was you know i was happy for those guys but um i i think i made the right decision and and being loyal and staying and um and then obviously you know we, we had a really good senior year we won the sectional and wish we could have went further but um, you know, it was just, uh, it was a really good experience for me, uh, in high school and with the guys that I played with. You're too humble to mention it, but this year Delta retired your number and put your Jersey on the wall. You graduated as their all-time leading scorer. And as I mentioned, that led to being named an Indiana all-star. Uh, what, what was your all-star experience like that summer? Yeah, well, it was good. Um, you know, one of our assistants just passed away. who was a great man, Ed Siegel. That was the coach at Pike was just a fabulous person. And, um, really sad to see him, um, you know, pass away. But, you know, it was just really good for the game. And he coached LaSalle Thompson at Pike. And I've obviously coached both of uh, his sons. And he came by practice this year. And so we just, you know, the friendships that you meet, you know, through the game. You know, and Pat Rady was just an excellent coach. He's got too many wins to count. But just a, just a way better person than he was a coach. And he's one of the best coaches in Indiana State basketball history. And, and so just to be able to be around those two guys and uh, we had a really good group. Calvert Chaney got hurt um, earlier in the year. So he was on our team, but he was still hurt and he didn't play. He was a, the best player in the state. Pat Graham was Mr. Basketball and um, had a fabulous career. And Greg Graham was on that team who obviously ends up being a first round pick and was the first team all big team guy at Indiana. who's a really good, uh, really good player, but well, just, just a, just a cool experience. And, you know, you don't get to, it's hard, you know, and, and when you get into coaching, you understand things a little bit better than you do when you're a player, when you're a player and you don't really, that's the end of your, you know, your career in basketball and you move on, you always kind of think like a player. Um, I think it's hard for those all-star coaches to make everybody happy. And one game, I think I had two points. Um, another game I had eight points. Um, we got beat in market square arena by Allen Houston. He had 33 points and he was, he, he was pretty good, man. He was one of the best players I ever played against and uh, was a real class guy too. Very similar to Calvert, um, you know, just in terms of how great they were as players, but they were just humble and in first class. And, um, and then we were able to go, I, I think it was Louisville Freedom Hall. We went down there and we played really well as a team. Casey Schmidt, who went to Arizona, went to Valparaiso, hit five threes and really, you know, got us going in that game. And, uh, but we really shot the ball well. It was just a good team win. And uh, we were able to beat them down in Louisville and get that split. But no, it, w it was an honor because there's a lot of guys that, you know, Aaron Marks and Tony Barbie and some really good players in our class um, that didn't make the Indiana All-Stars. And so, you know, you know, at the end, it's, um, you know, at the time you think, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll make this team. I've had a good year. But then when you see some of the guys that get left off the team um, and how good they were, um, you know, it, 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 makes you feel you know very grateful that you're even on the team you've already rattled off a number of schools a number of players um anything else from your high school playing days that stands out maybe including uh, favorite gymnasiums to play in or memorable games anything like that 
Yeah, um, I, I think playing against your rival, Yorktown was our rival at Delta. And so playing against them was kind of like, you know, now with, with us going against Indiana, like, you know, there's just something a little bit more um, about playing your rival and being able to be successful. And I think they beat us once um, in my high school career. Uh, we, we won the rest of those games. So, you know, I, I, besides that, like just the, the disappointment, like we got beat by Wapahani my junior year. Um, and we, we had beat him by 25 and 30 points during the year. They really did a good job. Paul Keller was their coach who became Delta's coach who won a state title with Delta and, and got runner up in the last year when it was one class. Um, it was just a fabulous coach. Just, you know, you know, did, did a great job in that game of setting the tempo and, um, and, and they beat us. And, uh, that, that was probably the most disappointing thing, um, that happened because I thought we had some offensive firepower with that team as you go forward in the tournament, like you got to have some offensive firepower, um, especially when you start to play better teams as you get into the regional and semi-state. So um, that was a tough deal. I didn't think they had enough to, to go and win in the regional and they didn't, um, but we did. And uh, so that, that was a tough pill to swallow, but they hats off to those guys. They, they played really well and they had a great coach, but um, in, in terms of gyms, um, you know, we played in the Muncie Fieldhouse once my sophomore year against Northside, and that was always the cool place to me. You know, going to the Fieldhouse um, in Muncie was a big deal. I, I loved going to see Muncie Central versus, you know, Muncie Southside as a kid. And um, Lawrence Jordan had a half-court shot, I think, when I was in middle school at one time, and uh, for Muncie South to win the game. And just all the players that came through there and, and uh, watching and just – you know, I, I, you don't mention people, but like D. Irby was a player that played in Muncie in the mid 80s. And I'd, I'd go and watch him. I'd go watch Billy Bucks and Mike Abrams and, you know, just watching those guys. Um, they were good, man. They, they, they were really good. But that was a big deal to me. Like I always, if we didn't have a game or we didn't have something going on or there's something, whether I was in middle school or whatever, I was trying to get a ride or get something, you know, I'd go over and, you know, I watched Newcastle obviously with Steve Alford and then, going over to the Muncie field house was a big deal. Maybe I didn't, for whatever reason, I never went over to the wigwam outside of when Delta played there. Delta played there like an 80 or 81 in the regional and won a game and actually got to the regional final and got beat. But that was like, that was mind blowing to me as a young kid to see that, to see that environment and that atmosphere at like the, you know, the field house, um, the wigwam, you know, going to Chrysler over in Newcastle. So, um, to be able to see those type of things. Everybody went to high school games. I mean, everybody. Like, you, you go over to Muncie Southside, and they weren't playing in the field house, and they were playing in their small gym. I mean, it was packed. It was packed to the gills. And so any time that you were trying to do it, but even, like, some of the small schools that we played, and we were a smaller school. We were probably around 900 to 1,000 students. But, like, when you would go to, like, some of these places, and, you know, you would go over to Pendleton Heights and play, they'd have a bigger gym. But if you went to Union City, which was smaller, the environments were still like really, really good. I'm just kind of, you know, pulling some names out of the hat there, but um, it, it just seemed that way. Maybe it wasn't that way, but sometimes as a kid, you know, what you remember and what you think isn't, isn't true, but I'll never forget going in 88 um, with one of the guys on our team, Rick Painter, and his, his parents um, had tickets for Central games, and they had tickets, and Central played Richmond. It's the only game Central lost that year in 88 with Woody Austin was Mr. Basketball in 88. But I went and watched that. And um, I, the bleachers were swaying and shaking. It was just a regular season game. I mean, it was crazy. 
And it was like, here I am like, whoa, like this is impressive. Like, well, hell, this is high school basketball. Like I'm involved in this too right now, but I'm not in that level of a game. Like, you know, that, that, that was a, that was a big time game. And um, it was, it was just pretty impressive to, um, to, to kind of be a part of it at that time. Uh, last couple of things. Uh, nowadays, the travel basketball, the AAU scene is, is, is exploded mm-hmm. and is huge. Um, what experiences did you have? Because I think that was probably just starting to come onto the scene when you were in high school. Right, right. Well, I, I, um, I think eighth grade was the first time I had played on, on a team like that. We kind of we, we collect some hodgepodge teams and put them together and play in some tournaments um, with guys from where I'm around in the county and things like that. But then the, the first, when I went to the boys club and, and played as I think a 14 and under team was the first team that I'd played on. Um, then the next year I played on the, the 15 and under team there. And, and, and a crazy story about that is you can only have two guys on your team. I think this was 15 and under. Um, and don't hold me to that, but it's me going into my ninth grade year, maybe me going into my sophomore year, but um, Chandler Thompson, who I played in the third grade league with when I was a second grader, he was a year older than me. Um, he didn't get, he didn't get on our 15 and under team. If I have the year, right. And we had, there was a big kid named Andy Welches that was a six, six kid. That's at Muncie central. And then Victor young, who ends up three years later, starting as their point guard um, on, on varsity, they were on our team and you couldn't have more than two people. And the tryouts are like in March or April and he doesn't make the team. I don't even know if he tries out. I don't know if he's there. He's always just kind of lingering um, and and always playing at the boys club or the Y. He was always around playing basketball and he shouldn't have. And by the end of the summer, we get to like July and Welch just isn't playing anymore. Vic's not playing anymore. I forget what the deal was. So we pick him up and he plays. And our, our coach is a guy named Stevie Anderson at the time was like 23, 24 years old, just a young guy, but did a really good job. We were organized. We ran plays. We practiced all the time. He actually yelled at us. Um, and Chandler plays like in a couple games with us and he's easily the best player on our team. And I've, and to this day, I've never seen somebody go from like March to July and go from somebody who's just another cat to the best player. So quick. I mean, so I've never mm-hmm. seen somebody make that any, he, any he grew and that helped him, but like, and being confident and like, it was, it was something that just didn't happen. I just, I never forget going home and telling my dad because my dad coached against him in, you know, his second, third grade. I said, Oh man, Chandler's unbelievable. He's, he's the best player. He goes, well, you got cut from your team. I go, he should have. I go, but if they did tryouts right now, I said, you know, he would start and you wouldn't take him out of the game. Like, like he's going to be the best player. And I'll never forget that first game as junior. I was just telling everybody like, Hey, like this guy's going to come on the scene. And you know, he had like 22, 23, 24 points in his first game as a junior, you know, at Muncie Central and the rest is history. And you could argue that he could have been Mr. Basketball in 88 just for the year that he had. And, but they had, they had a great team and, you know, they, and they had other guys too. So it wasn't like he was kind of a one man band, you know, on his team. So, but that, that to me was something that was just like, you know, the AAU and just all the different players and, you know, trying to get things figured out. Then the next year on the 16 and under team, um, Chandler played on another team. He played on a, uh, a really good team um, with a lot of guys. Woody was on the team. Um, they, they, had a, they had a lot of uh, really good players on that on on their team. Then there was another team, Municipal Gardens, with Sean Woods, 
uh, Sean Kemp, Chris Lawson as a younger guy. Um, they had a really good team. And then we just had a team from Munson. And Cedric Van Leer was on our team, Tony Banks, Michael Adams, uh, Steve Parsons from Yorktown, David Nichols from Delta, myself, Scott Woods, just a Muncie team. And we beat a team out of Bloomington. And then we ended up playing them. And we ended up playing Sean Woods and Sean Kemp. And they beat us in double overtime, just a team from Muncie. So we came an eyelash away from winning the state. AAU, just Muncie guys, which is unheard of. Like if you told somebody that like, even if you said Indianapolis, just get guys from Indianapolis, you know, it's going to be hard because everybody collects an all-star team. And back then they had the two major teams and they had a couple other teams, but we weren't close to those teams. Like we, and then we proved that we belonged and played there. And so the next year, then I, I played 17 and under with uh, the team out of Bloomington and um, had a lot of guys, had a lot of workouts and stuff. Um, that people came around. Calvin Chaney came and played this for a little while and he went back to his team um, from Evansville. And um, Alan Henderson wasn't with that group yet. Damon Bailey started to be with us and then his, his knees had bothered him. So he took the summer off. But Eric Montrose was on the team. Chris Lawson, um, Pat Graham, Pat Knight, Todd Leary, Rhett Dallas, Brian Blackwell. Um, we had Tony McGee, Braden McCormick. And so I just wrote off all Division One guys, at least mid-major guys a lot of high major guys and so um you know we, we had a really good team and had a lot of fun and traveled we won the kentucky hoop fest was which was one of the couple big ones vegas and that one at that time we won that and um you know just just had a lot of success and, and a lot of fun and your recruiting really picked up because you know you everybody was coming to see you know the marquee guys you had on your team you know pat graham um probably led us in scoring uh, Eric Montrose was so dominant as a younger guy. He was so big and physically imposing. Chris Lawson was a really good player. So a lot of people were coming to see those guys. So you got a lot of looks from a lot of colleges. And um, so that, that was kind of my experience with AAU. But people look at it, I'll be 50 this summer. People look at it like, well, all this, this AAU stuff. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of positives through AAU. There really is. Um, but what it's, what it's done unintentionally is there's a lot of hopping around in AAU. And so then the guys coaching you, they know that those, those guys can just pop up and leave at any moment. So when you're coaching them, what, what do you, you know, if you get onto them a little bit or there's any type of structure or restriction or they'll just leave and go to another team because it's easier. Well, that really kind of sets the tone and forms a bad habit um, that you kind of see in our basketball culture. Well, coach, I, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate all these stories. I know a lot of people know about your Purdue playing career, about obviously your coaching career, but to uh, get some stories from your childhood and uh, the, the early basketball years has, has been fantastic for me. So thank you very much for taking part with us today. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Thanks to Matt for his time and sharing his stories and memories here on the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame podcast. As a reminder, please share with your friends on social media links to our podcasts. And if you haven't yet subscribed, you can do so through Apple Podcasts, through Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other outlets. Follow us online at www.hoopshall.com and on social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. More to come, more stories of basketball in Indiana on future editions of the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame podcast. I'm your host, Chris May. Thanks for tuning in.